there's so much we could say, um, but we want the same Jesus to be at work amongst us this morning. Lord, we, we, we pray for those dear believers there that are just getting up and on with their day this morning right now. We pray you'd strengthen them. Lord, each one, particularly those that are now looking with a heart connection to be walking in partnership with us. We pray for them in Joinville, Erasmapolis, Pitisicaba, Rio Claro. Lord, we pray pour out your spirit on them today as they meet. And, and may the same Holy Spirit be poured out on us, we pray, as we open your word now, that we might be strengthened, built up, established, that we might walk into these revival promises that you have for us, Lord. We do sense a cloud over us, Lord, a, a cloud of your presence, Lord. We believe you for more, for greater things. And so, Lord, we trust you for what we don't yet see fully, for what we don't yet have, whether it's home, it's provisions, jobs, Lord, or whether it is the provision of your spirit and the outbreak of the kingdom. Lord, we trust you for what you've said uh, as the provider and the promiser and the one who's always faithful to keep his promises. So, God, fill our hearts with hope this morning as we open the word. Amen. Amen. We'll find some ways of, of getting the stories out to you helpfully over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure, so that we don't uh, just squash you with it all. And I think we're still processing. We got back on our sofas just after six last night uh, and uh, just need a little bit of time, I think, to work it all through. Um, so this morning, uh, I'm continuing our Reformation series. I gather Ken started brilliantly last Sunday. Really grateful for you, to you, Ken, for that. Thank you. Um, I, I, I've not had a chance to catch up online, please use the online uh, facility to do that and encourage your friends who are out serving our kids and teenagers uh, this morning. It, I, I've got used in the last week as well to saying if you're watching on TV right now uh, or on the internet or listening on the radio a thousand miles away, but maybe someone's listening on the internet this week and God will speak to them as well from here. Um, we're covering this Reformation month. 500 years ago, um, a German monk on October the 31st, a man called Martin Luther published this radical set of beliefs um, and protests, really, against problems in the, the Catholic Church. We call it the Catholic Church. It was just the church 500 years ago. There was no other expression, really. Um, and he published this, uh, this uh, dispute uh, by nailing it to the church door uh, in the university town of Wittenberg, a little backwater church uh, in a uh, city in German town in, in Germany. Um, I guess it was the equivalent of the most outrageous social media post of his day, uh, if you could call it that. It was, it was the only way he knew how to do it. And like any outrageous social media post, it went viral very quickly. People were retweeting, can you believe what Luther's just nailed to the door uh, of the castle church? And very quickly, in a matter of months, it had spread uh, not only over across parts of what we now call Germany, but all over um, Europe as well. Um, this is a story, the Reformation, about one man getting born again through a revelation of a, a fresh revelation from the Scriptures, um, out of a background of heavy legalism and, and control, superstition. Uh, within the, the form of Catholicism in his day. But it's also a story, and perhaps more pertinently for us here in 21st century Crawley, a story of, a, of the church, the true church, the authentic stream of God's people rediscovering their, their doctrines and their mission, firstly in that part of Germany, but as we said very quickly through Switzerland, Holland, up into Scandinavia, even over here to England and Scotland. It's very much a story for today that we'll touch on over these coming weeks. Very much a story for our European generation where the ideas of church and faith and mission have been pushed back to the margins. We've had lots of questions about that this week. It's wonderful to know that a vibrant Brazilian church is praying hard for us in the UK 
and in Europe, Tuesday nights, when we finished uh, praying with hundreds of people and we got them to stand and pray for us in Crawley and pray for Europe and for uh, the state of the church here and for a revival again. I, I wish you could have stood with me and Danny on the platform seeing this church praying so passionately with tears for us. What a privilege. So through October, November, the early part of November, we're going to teach from the five main ideas of uh, Luther's Reformation. Five ideas that are rooted uh, in the, the scriptures. Um, only scripture, only faith, only grace, only Christ, and only the glory of God. Uh, Luther was a little bit wrong, really. You can't have five onlys. You can only have one only. But, but there are five onlys that we're very happy with. And who am I to argue with Martin Luther? Um, and we'll begin to see the power of God at work, not just to um, release us, but to impact our lives out in our communities, in society, just as in Luther's day, not only was Luther released with courage and passion to live for the glory of God, but so were the people that discovered these teachings, not only in their churches, and boy did this stuff transform churches, but it also transformed society, homes, workplaces, education, establishments. These truths about Jesus Christ, when we let them loose, will do the same today. Let me hear an amen, please. Amen, amen that's good. Back in the UK, not in Brazil. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's wonderful to be with family. It really is. Um, so today, only scripture. There are all kinds of radical ideas that come and go down through the, the, the centuries. Ideas that, in, in wherever you may stand in history, seem perfectly normal and acceptable at the time. But then, by the next generation, they're scoffing at them and saying, can you believe that we ever imagined that kind of stuff was true? We're not just talking about radical ideas when we come to Christ. When we talk about radical ideas that are rooted in the word of God, we're talking about ideas that are unchanging through generations and through cultures. Ideas about Jesus Christ and his church that are true here, they're true in Brazil, they're true this century, they'll be true next century if Jesus hasn't returned with trumpet blast. They were true 500 years ago in Martin Luther's day. Uh, and if we have radical ideas that are true and are always true, that begins to change things if those ideas are let loose. Um, in a time where many were beginning to criticise the, the excesses and the practices of the, of the, of the church, um, the distortion uh, of, of lives of those that were leading the church in Luther's day, Luther said, others before me attack the life of the church, I attack the doctrines of the church. Uh, people say, why, why did Reformation come when, when Luther stood up? and began to say things. I believe it was because he was speaking from the truth of the word of God, not just looking at some of the problems that were around in the church in his day. Luther seemed to grow in his understanding that the words in this book, um, the ideas there would bring life, and his weapon was the word of God itself. Um, a couple of years after, it was uh, 15, October 31st, 1517, when, when Luther's uh, uh, Instagram uh, went crazy with, uh, with his 95 theses that he hammered on the church door. A couple of years later, he was hauled before the church authorities uh, in a, 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 what they had in those days, a disputation, a guy called Eck. Um, uh, and uh, he, he was called to answer for his beliefs. Luther was, was utterly radical. Uh, it was revolutionary. He argued his case from the scriptures. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds crazy to say that now, but in Luther's day, this was an extraordinary thing. He said the authority of the Catholic Church, the church councils, the decision-making bodies, even the Pope, Luther said, they're not in my Bible. That was quite a thing to say 500 years ago. He said, I will answer to Scripture alone. Basically, that's being brought up before a court and saying, I don't recognize your authority, here's my authority. That's what Luther was saying, a courageous guy. So what Luther was arguing against was all the traditions of church life, 
Uh, all the rules that we add on that we think are perfectly normal for us, but actually we don't find them in here. Of course, the Catholic Church today will still make its decisions through scripture and church tradition. Um, so many of our conversations, though it's easy to knock the Catholic Church, but so many of our conversations this last week or so with, with church leaders in Brazil, as they're we're discovering the New Testament afresh with them, looking again at what, what does New Testament church really look like, and comparing it with the, the distorted version that has evolved within their denominations. It's still happening today, friends. There's such a contrast when we look at what the scriptures actually say. Um, when we lift off the additions of tradition, uh, that whether they are from the Pope or from Pentecostals, whether they're Catholic or charismatic, we've added all kinds of stuff that only brings people into legalism and control in the end. Uh, listen, there's loads of good we can learn from our traditions and our history, but never above the teaching of scriptures. That was Luther's big point in the Reformation. That deserved an amen, I think, as well. Um, Luther's rediscovery reminds us that for every decision we make, every challenge in our lives, whether it's very personal, like Amy shared today, or whether it's the direction and the doctrines of our churches, there's only one deciding factor, Scripture alone. Let me hear you say that, please. There you are, well done. Yeah, not the whole sentence. That would have been a bit tough on you, having heard it once. Scripture alone is good, though. Um, a little later, Luther was called to a, the, the, the hearing of his life, uh, a place called Worms. When I first read it as a schoolboy in my history books, uh, the Diet of Worms is what you read in your English books. But it, it was a, another council in a place called Worms, not Worms. Uh, he didn't have to eat worms at his Diet of Worms. In fact, it was worse than that, uh, he, if it's possible. Um, he was told, uh, you either recant, you turn from your, your beliefs that they thought were erroneous, or uh, you're going to be punished. And for Luther, the punishment he was facing was almost certainly death as a heretic. If you're making the movie about Luther's life, this would be the moment. Uh, this would be the, the, the high point where the camera would come in close. Luther gives in here and backs down. Everything crumbles away. Uh, but is he going to dare to stand up for obedience to uh, the word of God, whatever the cost to him? This is what Luther said. He had a wobbly start. He asked for some time to think overnight. Uh, his accusers thought he's going to change his mind. He's going to come back into the fold. The next day he stood up and said this before his accusers. Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason, I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone. It's clear they have erred, that is it, they are in error, repeatedly and contradicted themselves. I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Wow. Thus I cannot and will not recant, because acting against my conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. <laughs> wow. That he's got the weight of empire against him. He's got the weight of church. As far as he's concerned at that point, he's got the weight of history against him and he stood firm. It was remarkable um, courage. Scripture alone. I, I think Ken may have told you more of the story last week. I won't get into it now. But the truth is, these reformers, even in Luther's era, weren't starting anything new. It was new for them in their generation. Um, but it wasn't a new thing at all. There have been other similar reforming movements. Back to the first church in Acts Chapter 2, no different to my parents' generation that, that started the kind of churches that we're in now, the house church movement of the, of the late 60s and 70s that birthed us. 
basically all these reform movements have been, what's characterised them has been that they are back to the Bible movements, um, back to the Acts 2, devotion to scriptures, devotion to the apostles' teaching, discovering again, Jesus, what do you want your church to look like? Here's what the Bible says, let's begin to do it. 500 years ago, this back to the Bible movement changed the world and our prayer as we preach through this stuff this month is that, that, that this back to the Bible movement does so again in our generation. We've been uh, really enjoying preaching the word uh, this week across Brazil, um, but not just preaching it in front of churches, as Danny said, in car journeys, cafes, steak restaurants. Um, we seem to have had the Bible open all the time. Um, it's been wonderful to see the fruit of the word of God being preached. They're yeah, great in churches. We, we've seen uh, scores of people get born again. Many more rededicate themselves to Jesus, people immediately healed, um, breakthroughs, healing, deliverance. But the, the conversations in coffee shops with, with dry, crushed, damaged leaders and their wives coming alive as they discover again, oh, this is what the Bible, I mean, these guys have read it, but they've never seen it because the traditions have crushed them, seeing life and hope and freedom uh, begin to come again. Um, this word of God is alive in different cultures, different settings, amongst the rich, amongst the poor, with the educated, with those that are very simple, in the cities, with all their dynamism and 24-7 busyness, out in the rural areas, with the young, with the old. We've seen the word of God come alive with people covered in tattoos this week and Pentecostals with tight ties. Tattoos or ties, the word of God is alive and is at work. And uh, whether you're young or old, rich or poor, and, and God bless you if you're wearing a tie this morning, by the way. Uh, that wasn't a word against you. Jesus loves you so much. The word is alive. So what is it about this living word that's so radical and powerful and liberating? The word that works so powerfully and dynamically in the world, even apart from our efforts. Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16, John, John T. at the back has been wondering, when, when, when's he going to start with the PowerPoint? John, we're there. We're going to open this word now. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Um, Paul writes to Timothy, and we'll be in Timothy uh, 1 and 2 Timothy a lot in the next few minutes. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If you don't remember any of the other passages we look at this morning, remember 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed. This, this word God-breathed, uh, Theonustus, it was a word Paul made up. You won't find it anywhere else. It wasn't known. He, he just jammed two Greek words together, uh, God and breathe. This word is, this living word, these scriptures that we rely on for our lives, for every decision, uh, for our um, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, it's been breathed out by God himself. Michael Reeves, the British scholar, puts it this way. The Bible is from God the Father. It is a revelation of God the Father. Secondly, the Bible is about the Son. It's a record of the word of God in the person of Jesus, promised in the Old Testament, attested to in the New Testament. Thirdly, the Bible is by God the Spirit. It's the Spirit-inspired record of the word of God in the person of Jesus. The Spirit ensures it is an accurate and reliable account of the word of God. So this Bible is from God, about God, and by God. It's a remarkable little book that I have in my hand today. So... Preaching the word of God was what caused these Reformation ideas to spread so fast. 
Preaching the word of God is what's brought water to, to thirsty Brazilians this week. Preaching the word of God is what brings people like us alive this morning. Not just passing on information. This is the living word of God. It's about God. It's from God. It goes back to God. When these living words are read aloud, or when we read them in our heads, when they're preached, or when they're sung, or when they're shared in coffee shops, the very presence of Jesus Christ is presented to us through his word. This is very powerful. When I grew up reading the missionary stories of people like Brother Andrew who smuggled books like this into Eastern Europe, Romania, uh, across into China, and you read stories about how precious it was just to get a portion some of the places Dave and Ali must have worked into at times in the past, they would have met people who would say, just have a page or a portion of the scripture that we could share around with our friends and families. Why is that so precious? It's because when we read this, the very presence of Jesus Christ is manifested amongst us. And where he's present, he's very, very powerful. Luther understood something of this idea of simply giving the word of God room to work. I love Luther's quotes. He was so rude and very funny. Um, I'm so glad that the Reformation started with a boisterous German who liked a beer or two. Um, and so uh, there's even a, there's a wonderful uh, Luther quotes generator, a Luther insult generator online. You could probably look, Google it yourself, look it up, uh, and you can put in names and it will produce a Luther type insult. Uh, it's great. Uh, but <laughs> back to the story. Um, Luther said, I simply taught preached and wrote God's word. He doesn't mean he, he wrote the word of God. He knows it was already written by the apostles and by the Holy Spirit, but he means he, he wrote it out to people. I simply taught, preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. While I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with Philip and Amsdorf, his friends, the word of God so greatly weakened the Pope's rule that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon him. I did nothing. The word did everything. Isn't that amazing? You just have to read and preach this stuff. Then you can go home and drink a beer to the glory of God and the word of God is at work in people's lives, pulling down and demolishing strongholds and bringing life and hope and freedom. The word did everything. So just briefly this morning before we pray, how does the word do everything? Romans 15, 4. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, for everything that was written in the past, uh, he's talking about the Old Testament, uh, the story before Jesus Christ came on the scene in the Gospels. Um, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So there's a truth about the Scriptures here in this verse. These, these words are written for our instruction. If we follow these instructions, we find hope. It's really simple. Um, these Scriptures, Paul says, from the Old Testament onwards and, and the, the the things that they uh, recognised as, the words they recognised as scriptures were beginning to be in circulation by the time Paul was writing Romans. Certainly by the time he writes 1 and 2 Timothy, there were a lot more of the uh, Matthew's Gospel and some of the other letters of Paul were being considered to be part of the canon of scripture. So Paul's saying from the Old Testament onwards, these stories about God's plan on the earth, how they are fulfilled pointing towards and fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus. The, the, these words are going to be our instruction and our hope in life. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Uh, Paul's teaching in a similar way. He's speaking about the warnings to us as God's people uh, from the history of Israel. All those stories of, of Israel's um, wanderings and, and failings and falling away, he says, are to be warnings for us. They are written down, he says, to warn and teach and instruct us. The point of a warning is that we do learn from it. 
when parents say to their children, don't do that again. There's no point in that warning if, if, there's, if there's no uh, learning for us uh, or if there are no consequences from the warning that is given. Uh, the idea is that we learn from these instructions in the Old Testament rather than repeat their errors. 1 Corinthians 10.11 goes on to say uh, about uh, Jesus Christ on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So Paul is teaching all these scripture writings, the old and increasingly in his day the new, pointing to the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the give, to the giving of his spirit, to his return one day, to rule all things and put all things under his feet. All scripture from the start of the story in, in Genesis right up until the very end has been written to instruct us and to lead us into these precious truths about Jesus Christ and the world. So let's just look at the, this uh, word in a bit more detail. The word, word teach is really interesting, to teach and instruct. 2 Timothy 3, um, 16 and Romans 15, 4, the passages we've mentioned so far, um, talk about the scriptures being given for our instruction. The word instruction is, or, or teach is really useful to study. It's a Greek word uh, that's translated teach in our Bibles, didiscalia. Um, gets used a lot across Paul's letters. Helps us to understand what true teaching is is and it's very important in our day that we understand what is true teaching and what is not true teaching whether you're here in the UK or whether you're in Brazil. Um, Paul uses this word sometimes to speak uh, so Ephesians 4, Colossians 2 he speaks uses this word didiscalia to speak about human teaching so not teaching that is inspired by God. Human teachings Paul says which shift like tides. You ever stood and seen the tide shifting uh, that blow like winds, that are rooted in deceit, uh, self-made religion that has the appearance of true teaching but is not authentic. Sometimes Paul uses the word teaching to describe those kinds of teachings. And what he's describing is the spirit of our age, isn't he? Um, things that were agreed yesterday, that today we find offensive, that are forgotten tomorrow because we're rushing off after the latest idea that we want to hear to satisfy us. 1 Timothy 10, Paul uses the same, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 10, Paul uses the same word teaching, but this time, instead of talking about the shifting sands, the shifting tides, he's using it to describe sound doctrine, or healthy doctrine that we find here in the scriptures. When he uses it in this way, it's the opposite. Um, he's talking about teaching which conforms to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. This sound doctrine, this good news about Jesus, he says, it's been entrusted to the church through the apostles. From Acts 2 onwards, when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, this, this sound teaching, this healthy teaching about the gospel has been entrusted to the authentic church of Jesus Christ down through the generations. It's teaching about the finished work of Jesus that does not shift with the times and the seasons, with cultures or opinions. So Paul's saying this sound doctrine to instruct us, um, if we're going to learn from that, we have to understand that, that as disciples we are to be alert, therefore, to the times, to the seasons we live in, aware, as we often say, what our culture is teaching us, what we are inadvertently absorbing, the ideas of this world, discerning about where ideas originate from, are they rooted in the sound doctrine, in the instruction, in the teaching the truths of Jesus Christ and his plan for the world. If they are not, as disciples, like Luther, we reject them completely, however popular they may be in our time and in our era. It's the same word in 1 Timothy 6.3. Paul uh, he's getting 
frustrated and angry, talking about false doctrines of the world that don't agree with the sound doctrines of Jesus Christ. He says people who teach them and people who receive these doctrines are conceited and understand nothing. Wouldn't we uh, be ashamed if the Apostle Paul stood in front of us and said, you've taught and you've received these kinds of false teachings? Wouldn't we rather uh, accord ourselves with the, with the sound, healthy, uh, unchanging doctrines of the word of, of God? Um, sound, healthy doctrine is the very opposite. Um, healthy doctrine produces fruit in our lives. False doctrine never produces fruit. Actually, it does produce fruit. It produces fruit that leads to death. Um, sound, healthy doctrine produces life and hope and joy. All the things we've seen springing up this week uh, amongst some of the churches and leaders we've been working with. No wonder in the light of this, Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 16, Timothy, you watch your life and doctrine closely. That's a strong instruction, isn't it? But it's important that we hear that as well and feel Paul's finger pointing at us too. And so 2 Timothy 4, 3, I think describes it very well. Um, maybe this one goes up on the screen. There it is. John, you're doing brilliantly keeping up with me. Thank you. For the time will come, Paul says, where men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them in great number uh, teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. I don't know if there's a verse in the Bible that describes our generation better than this verse. Um, even in many of our churches today, much of the mix of teaching that seems to be syncretized with self-help, myths, prosperity teaching, conspiracy theories about the world, it, it purports to be Bible teaching. So much of the stuff we see on TV or the internet or even popular books that sell in their millions in churches across the West and the global South. Hey, we're being called like Paul was to Timothy, like Luther was in his day, to keep our heads among a people who refuse to be shaped by sound truths and who would listen to that which appeases and, uh, them and agrees with their sinful desires. And because we've given ourselves to a sinful appetite, then we go looking for the stuff that satisfi satisfies us, the, the junk food, which gives us a quick hit of what we like to hear. When, when, when the apostles call us back, to the, the living, enduring word of God. Um, we have to change our appetites and desires, don't we? Remember, we're not neutral in this. We, we don't easily retain truth or remain in truth if it isn't consistently and constantly shared and spoken and lived out. The scriptures are clear. If we don't do that, we turn our ears quickly away from truth. We quickly get pulled aside to all the myths uh, that are out there. So what about us? Let's move to some application. Um, I, I love teaching on the Reformation. I, I'm, I'm teaching our, our new Grand Impactors next month. I've got a whole day from Reformation through to Revival. It's my favourite day of the year when I teach them on that. But we don't just want to be inspired by the Reformation and the courage of men like Luther. We need to apply this to our lives as well, don't we? Our call is to hold firmly against the tide of untruth in our generation, to live out our own Reformation, as it were, um, if it's not sound, if it's not healthy, it's dangerous. It will lead us away from truth. Um, it's deceit if it's not sound doctrine rooted in the word of God. Um, deceit is a, is a scheme of Satan. The, the, Paul writes 
uh, elsewhere and says we are not to be unaware of Satan's schemes. That means we're to be very aware of his schemes. And his schemes are, that they're, they're not creative. They've been the same from the Garden of Eden. He takes the word of God and he says, did God really say? And just begins to distort and twist and, and deceive. And he's been using that tactic with, tactic with disciples like you and me ever since then. And the word of God says, stand your ground, fight for healthy doctrine in your life, in your family, in your church. Don't allow drift. And to do so against such a tide that seems to be constant, we must know uh, and hold firm to this gospel that is rooted in the scriptures. So we agree with Luther, only scripture. Titus 1.9, Paul writes again to another leader, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those that oppose it. I don't think that's just a word for leaders. I think that's a word for every disciple to take hold of. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message so you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So may we be those who grapple with this unchanging message that's been faithfully taught by God's people down through the ages, this simple message about Jesus Christ. Let's just uh, let's nail up some of our own Reformation application for us to agree on and for all to see. I've got eight very brief. Don't worry, you think, oh, he's got eight points now and it's 21 minutes past 11. Don't worry, they're brief. Um, first of all, we will watch. We will, uh, our life and doctrine closely. That's Paul's instruction to Timothy. We will watch, we will be on guard, we will be alert to. We will have a heightened sensitivity with regard to our life and doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 16. Friends, we need the spiritual gift of discernment. It's one of the grace gifts, along with prophecy and preaching and, and, and tongues and interpretations. We love those, but we miss this one. Oh boy, do we need it in our age, the spiritual gift of discernment. We need to know the scriptures. The problem with deceit is that it's deceptive. <laughs> the problem with a good fake is that it looks like the real thing. Uh, and so we need, uh, it's, it's close enough to the original. And so we, we must be those who say, yeah, we'll be on guard to this and we'll grow in the gift of discernment. Secondly, we'll keep our heads to Timothy 4, 5, where so many, I, I'm aware, even through my time in serving the Lord, of guys that I've looked up to, that I've honoured, who've shaped me and have taught the word so faithfully in the past, who've failed to keep their heads, who've gone with the tide, who've been sucked down into, into some liberal uh, ideas and theologies, pulled into popular culture, who in the end have said, well, it's inevitable, isn't it? Because we've got to reach people in the world. No, no, the, the word to us is, but you, man of God, keep your head, stand firm. Third area of application is we will watch what goes in. Um, what goes in? If we're going to keep our heads above the tide, then what goes into our heads, what goes into our hearts is vital. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. There is so much more than we realize at stake. Um, Paul is exhorting Timothy to preach the word because of the soon appearing of Jesus Christ. I think if we were more aware of the great prize that is at stake, we would keep our heads, we keep our hearts strong, we keep our doctrines sound. We wouldn't throw ourselves away for a lesser prize. Uh, instead, Paul says later on, there's a crown stored up for you on that day for all those who have loved his appearing. If we have the end in view at all times, I, I believe that we can uh, keep our heads and watch what goes in and live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season, Paul says. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I don't know that it's possible to do that and endure in doing that unless we have in mind the return of Jesus Christ who one day will wrap up everything and will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a key word, isn't it, when we're talking about doctrine. Number four, we're going to be those who are thoroughly equipped. In the end, our application must come back to what we pour in, and what we pour in is for purpose. It's in order that we are equipped, uh, or some translations say that we are competent uh, to live for Christ in this world. Therefore, friends, what I read, uh, what, we, what we teach, what we listen to, the shifting ideas of this bankrupt world, or the enduring truths of the scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.15, which are able to make you wise for salvation. I want to be wiser about salvation than I do about the wisdom of the world. Back to where we started. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We missed this bad out earlier, verse 17 of 2 Timothy. Uh, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if we want to keep our heads... If we want to be one of those churches that is not just surviving, and I think it's so sad when you see churches that are battened down the hatches against the tide, and if we can just hang on now until Jesus returns. That's not how we're to live. That's not what this message is about. If you're hearing it that way, I've either preached it badly or you've completely misunderstood me, and I hope it's the latter rather than the former. Um, but we're supposed to not just survive, but be thoroughly equipped to reach into our culture with the good news of Jesus Christ, competent, knowing these words are sufficient to advance God's kingdom plan in the world. Scripture alone, this little book against the modern age. I'll have a challenge, don't you? Uh, number five, um, equipped through teaching. I talked a lot about teaching already this morning. But be because of the authority of Scripture uh, that we've been speaking about, we will continue to have a very high view of the importance of preaching and teaching from from the Bible, and in some circles now I have to say that. Oh yeah, preaching and teaching, we love it. But I, the latest paperback, the latest idea, the latest uh, hip pastor thematic sermon series. No, no, from the Bible is where our teaching is rooted in because that's where the only unchanging authority is rooted in. Uh, and we're in an era now where there's real pressure on churches. The era, era of sound bites and clips and TED Talks and there's all kinds of useful stuff we can learn from. Uh, we, in fact, I think it's so similar to the Reformation era where, where there was so little preaching heard. They say at the time of the English Reformation, just a few years uh, after all the stuff going on, you may remember from your uh, school lessons, Henry VIII and all that, uh, um, wanting to get divorced from his first wife so he could marry his second. At the time of that, that era, the English Reformation, they said in, in most parish churches across England, you could go between 18 months and two years and never hear a sermon preached out of the Bible. Can you believe In churches? Can you believe that? So we're going to be equipped through teaching. Um, we'll continue to preach from Scripture here, from this, this cool, hip pulpit. We'll have cool, hip preaching that's rooted in the authority of the Word of God. It's life or death for the church of Jesus Christ. We can't move from that. We've got no choice but to proclaim his death and his resurrection until he returns. Amen. And last two, quickly. Equipped through singing the Scriptures. Yeah, he said singing. Um, we've often remarked we learn more of our theology through the songs we sing than through listening to amazing sermons like this. Um, I, I, for me, it's the way my mind is, is wired. If that's the case, let's ensure we sing songs of uh, scriptural truth. We sing songs of worship that are packed with truth as we've done this morning. 
Let's be wise about the songs we teach to our children, those of us who have children. Songs of scriptural truth become an easily remembered daily diet. So many of the scriptures I know now as an adult were ones that I learned from simple little songs um, when I was uh, very young that, that me and my sister played on a cassette player. Um, if you're not sure what one of those is, you can Google it later. Um, <laughs> the Word of God will thoroughly equip us. Let me ask you, what, what are you playing at home? Parents, what are you playing at home for your kids? What's on your playlist? What's in your ears on the way to work? What are you singing along to with your children? Start young with them. Scripture songs, Christ-exalting, cross-centered, head-lifting, God-glorifying truth against the tide of, of the self-gratifying, self-centered, introspective stuff that passes for modern worship in many churches now. Equipped by learning the scriptures. I've perhaps touched on it there as well. But when we sing, we learn. I, I think memorizing the scriptures is a lost art for us. But it's so important for us in this generation where we may not, like Luther, have to stand before councils, but we need to be able to recall and apply the word of God in all kinds of situations every day as we come under pressure in the world. So let's be equipped by learning the scriptures. If it helps to learn them through songs, learn them through songs. If it helps to use some of the stuff that we, we've discarded in our modern churches, like using the creeds that were written to help us learn some of the truths of Scripture, let's use the creeds. Remember uh, Brian Cook, a couple of Sundays ago, last time we were here, stood up and, where are you, Brian? He's here somewhere. Um, said, uh, hey, what we do on a Sunday basically is just repeating and reminding ourselves of things. Yes, that's, Brian's got it. It's absolutely right. We, we remind ourselves time after time after time, like we do with our children, in order that these scriptures get into us, so that when we're in the moment of pressure, we can recall. When Amy's thinking, are we going to lose our house this week? She can recall, no, I'm standing on the promises of a God who is unchanging and is faithful in all the promises that he makes. Finally, equipped through the public and private reading of scripture. No surprise there. Again, in some churches, it's old-fashioned to read the scriptures now. But we believe in the public reading of scriptures. We it was one of the reasons why, and I love Crawley Weekend, we wanted to read scripture out loud in front of the crowds in the park and hand hundreds of Bibles out because the word of God is living and active. Luther said, the word has hands, it takes hold of me. The word has feet, it runs after me. And that's what the word does as we read it and let it loose in our lives and in our, our world. So public reading of scripture, private reading of scripture, read it at home. Read the scriptures out loud to your children. Some of you as parents, I know how hard it is. I know how disinterested those little people seem at times, but keep going, parents. Stand firm. Read them at bedtime. Read them at breakfast. Read the stories. Um, write them out. Sometimes we put passages of scripture under their pillows as they slept at night. At the start of the day, read your scriptures, beloved. At the end of the day, read them. Read them at your desk. Release the word like Luther. Uh, let it get to work in every and any situation that we find ourselves in. This, this is our radical idea in our generation. The word of God, scripture alone. In this age of many truths, the scriptures are the only way we're able to identify what absolute truth is. Only scripture, because here alone is the living word. Here alone is where we find the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please. Can we uh, put the Apostles' Creed up on the... Written a few hundred years, not by the original apostles, but taken from their teaching. Let's read this out together, um, and then we'll finish. Just as we, as we do finish, I, I know many of you need, want to go and get children, enjoy fellowship over tea and coffee. If there's anyone here that hasn't yet given their life to Jesus, and we've talked about the gospel this morning, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Please come and see me 
If you're not sure what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we'd love to lead you to him today. If there's anyone here that's sick, we'd love to pray for you as well. Just while people are enjoying fellowship, tea and coffee, again, come down and find us at the front here. We'd love to lay hands on you if you're sick and let Jesus loose in your life for healing in your body or mind. Let's read the Apostles' Creed together, then we'll applaud the Lord. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want to come to know Jesus, or if you want some prayer for healing, come and see us. If not, enjoy your fellowship together. Well done.